0: Hello and welcome to the eighth episode of Sticks in the Six. I'm your host, Andrew Forbes, here with my co host, Peter Bacchini. And, Peter, how are you doing today?
1: Eight episodes already. We're approaching the double digit mark.
0: That we are. That that we are. Very quickly. Very quickly. That
1: is really something right now. I'm really excited and I'm doing good, man. Um, Waking up after some late night hockey. A lot can be done. Today, as we record, there's uh, the possibility that the Tampa Bay Lightning could end it all tonight on Saturday as we record, but we don't know because you know things happen. It's playoff hockey, but off season is around the corner. yeah, that's right. And
0: uh, obviously, as the off season goes, we've got a lot to talk about. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, I want to start off obviously on some maybe more sad news. Um, You know, whenever we can, we talk about how the, the hockey world is a, is a big family. It's a big community. Uh, We had two, two members of that family uh, leave us over the past week and uh, just want to pay tribute to Melford Mustangs, defenseman, Dylan Ash and former Leaf and, uh, legend legendary hockey player Bob Nevin passed away as well. So um Dylan, um obviously mourned by his family and friends. Um you know gone far, far too soon. Um uh from what I understand it was in a in a car accident and uh um you know just uh, you never like to see
1: anything like that happen. No, not at all. Um yeah it's especially when it's a young player like Dylan, 18 years old, like doing everything he can to like make it to the big times. Right. He's plugging away, he's working hard. And then all of a sudden his life is just taken too soon. It's an, it's an absolute tragedy right now. And he, there's always so much for him to like, like look forward to his career. He's doing, like I said, he's doing everything he can, but it's a shame that it was short lived and his life was taken far too soon. And yeah, you you never I, I mean, I've said this before. you never want to see this happen. I mean, especially when, again, they have their whole entire life to look forward to, and now it's just halted. It's at an end. And it's that's life. But we are, you know, mourning with, family friends teammates everything um this is why you know the hockey community is strong when things like this happen we always pay our respects we always send out our best and hopefully that you know we won't have to see this again
0: yeah no i i I agree and uh like you said gone far too soon only 18 years old Mm -hmm. um you know i just feel like over the last few years the sjhl has been hit with some some major, major tragedies, and oh, yeah. uh, it just uh, it it goes back to the Humboldt Bron- Broncos and and just what they you know the the community in Humboldt went through that the uh, mm-hmm. the league as as a as a whole, um, and just uh, like you said, a guy that just trying to plug it plug away, and um, you know, obviously, obviously we're we're there with the the family and friends thinking about uh, you know what. What uh, what was and what could have been, and and uh, you know the unfortunate tragedy. Yeah. Um. Uh, moving on with that, uh, as I mentioned, Bob Nevin, um, yes. former Maple Leaf, won two Stanley Cups with the with the Leafs. Uh, he also passed away at the age of eighty two. Um, again, another another well known player by many uh, played over eleven hundred NHL regular season games yeah. with the Leafs. Uh, New York Rangers, Minnesota, and Los Angeles. Um, he put up over 700 points over that span, and compiled almost uh, 220 penalty minutes. So, um, again, uh, you know, obviously a, m- a much longer life than uh, than Dylan Ash, but uh, you never like to see this kind of stuff happen. And, um, you know, it's uh, it's something we think about uh, on a daily basis when things
1: like this happen. No, for sure. And he's listed as number 51 in 100 Greatest Rangers uh, in a 2009 book. And I didn't know this. Uh, he was the first NHL player to wear contact lenses. Interesting. And I did not know that. That is something to, you know take light upon because I didn't even know when contact lenses were invented, but I guess it was invented at some point during the 60s, but they had to stop the game because uh, and allow players and officials to drop their knees and scour the ice when they're looking for one of the lenses as it popped out of his eyes and obviously, you know, somewhat of a, of a comedic moment at that moment, but it's still like a big moment in terms of of like how we could f- fix like people's visions and stuff like that and but yeah, no, aside from that, he was, you know, a real Maple Leaf legend. Um, like he said, the two Stanley Cups, he will not be forgotten among Leafs nations. And again, like don't Ash, our respects and uh, prayers are with him and his family at this moment. Um, again, you never want to see this happen. No matter like what age someone is, you want them to live as long as possible. Um, it's unfortunate that his time came, but we are... We will never forget him. We will never forget him.
0: Yep. Former captain of the Rangers won a Memorial Cup with the Toronto Marlboros in 1956. He was also part of a major blockbuster deal after winning two cups with the Leafs in 1962 and 1963. That sent him, Arnie Brown, Bill Collins, Dick Duff, and Rod Sealing to the Rangers for star winger Andy Bathgate and for Don McKenny. So. Um, obviously, you know, a major role player for, for all the teams that he, mm-hmm. uh, he uh, was on and, um, you know, again, just, uh, we, we, we send our, our thoughts and prayers to the family and friends of,
1: of both individuals. Absolutely. And also ended the four, a four year playoff drought for the Rangers at that point. So, uh, the trade as much as, you know, Maple Leafs, uh, Leafs nation, probably didn't like it at the time. It was a blessing for the Rangers as well. Yes. Yeah. No. Definitely. Um, moving on, we'll just kind of
0: run through the uh, the remainder of the um, awards that were handed out this week. Uh, yes. Obviously, Roman Yosi for the Norris, Connor Hellebuck for the Vesna, and Leon Drysaddle for the Hart, and Ted Lindsay, and Kale McCarve for the Calder. Thoughts mm-hmm. on these four announcements?
1: Yossi for Norris, I kind of figured that he was a front runner. I mean, John Carlson had like an early start to the season, but it looked kind of like the Capitals. He sort of like dipped in production. But when you're talking about the Norris and you're talking about defensemen, they want all-round play. Yeah, put up the points, but you want to see how well you can play in your own end. Yossi was by far one of the best players to excel in, in that category both offensively and and defensively. And considering the Predators were, you know, kind of a subpar team this year, you know, they had their ups and they had their downs. They had some of their, um, issues in their own end. Um, but he was a major consistent factor for them. That was a one bright spot for the Predators, um, led the team in scoring and being reliable on his own end shows that he's deserving of this award. Um, I think the most controversial ones for me were Hellebuck with Vesna and Dreisaitl for the heart. Mainly because I think, I, I mean, congrats to Hellebuck. He did have a really great season, but I think Tuka should have gotten it. He was among goalies with 30 starts. Rask was first in save percentage, first in goals against, and second in shutouts with five, I believe, to only behind Hellebuck. And he had an even percentage of 9.39. To me, he was by far the best goalie in the league. That's just my opinion. And Dreisaitl can be gone either way. Yeah, McDavid was out for two to three weeks, and you could say that you know he had an amazing season point-wise, but that's why he, he was the Art Ross winner. I think it should have gone to McKinnon because he was just as deserving, and the fact that if you look at the standings, Colorado were... Colorado was in second in the West and Edmonton was fifth. Colorado probably would have had a deep cup ru- cup run had it not been for like, you know, be- them being decimated with injuries and McKinnon was a major factor in both the regular season and the playoffs. I think it should have just gone to him. Um, and Kel McCarr, Kel McCarr is, I you can't say anything bad about Kel McCarr right now. Can you? no and uh to be honest I, I agree with you with
0: uh with yossi um i think it's nice to finally see them talk about a norris where they're looking at both sides of the game mm-hmm. i think for too long um they they focused a lot on on uh point production and and that to me it doesn't make up the best defenseman in the yeah. league um so i i i you know yossi was uh, definitely my vote um Hellebuck was a little bit of a surprise for me in, in terms of the Vesna. I, I, again, I think, uh, you know, Tuga definitely was uh, the guy that was on my radar. Um, Hellebuck, yeah, deserving, sure. C- congratulations for the uh, nomination. But um, to me, wasn't my overall winner. Um, mm-hmm. I'm going to kind of go on, on the Calder. It, it was a tough decision. Uh, yeah. You know, for me, obviously, Kale McCarr is an incredible player. Um Obviously, uh, you know he's well deserving of the award. That said, I, I think you mentioned it. I think Colorado was they were a playoff team regardless of uh, whether McCarr was in the in the lineup or not. Yeah. Um. For me, I think the most deserving rookie of the year, the guy that came out and, and really had an impact on his team, was Quinn uh, Quinn Hughes. Oh yeah. And uh, you know, without him, I'm not sure Vancouver is a playoff team. Um, mm-hmm. This past season, I think he just came in, he played both ends of the ice. He moved the puck. He had, he had vision. He, he exited, exited his, his own end uh, extremely well. Um, It was just, he added more, I think, to his team and and their overall outcome uh, for their season um, than, than McCarr did. But that said, I mean, you can't really argue with McCarr winning the Calder. Um, The point production he had is, I believe he averaged point eight eight points per game. So just, yes. um, you know, it, it's that one's tough because you, you you almost wish you could hand it to both both kids, but uh, at the same time, uh, you know,
1: I think obviously well deserving for Kale McCarr. Yeah, and I think that this award was the most difficult in terms of like who should get it. I mean. Quinn Hughes, like not to discredit him or anything, he would like, like you said what he did in Vancouver this year was absolutely phenomenal. But while he may have like you know got the edge when Cam Carr was injured, Hughes only had fifty three points, McCar only had fifty, and McCar missed thirteen games with two separate upper body injuries. If he yeah. didn't miss those games. He still would have outpaced Hughes. He would have hit 60, maybe 65 points at that point as well. So I think maybe, yeah, Quinn Hughes was in the discussion, but I think st- still Kale McCarr was going to be the winner no matter what. But then again, if it was Quinn Hughes, so be it. I mean, again, what he did, even in the playoffs, what he did this year, leading I think he led defensemen or rookie defensemen in the playoffs at some point. And again what he's done with the puck outlet passes and what you even mentioned about um zone entries and everything like that he's just in another level and i think we're starting to see an emergence of like you know young defensemen making an impact in the game like McCar Hughes i mean we're seeing that with uh, Miro Heiskanen right now it's it's going to be an interesting time to watch a defenseman play right now and these two right now are going to be at the main forefront of that yeah, no, I couldn't. Uh, I couldn't
0: agree more. And I think it's going to be an exciting time to see the way the game changes because it's it's really opened up uh, the mm-hmm. way that it's called now. And it, it, with that, I mean, you're getting a lot of the kids coming up with a lot more high end talent, and, and um, they're using that to their advantage where where they have that open space, they have that room to skate, yeah. and uh, they have that speed. Um, to be quite honest, so uh, it's definitely uh, definitely going to be an interesting time. Um, you mentioned we're heading into the off season and with the off season comes trade talk, comes, uh, signings, um, and the fun stuff, the fun stuff. And we had, didn't have any shortage of that in the last week. Um, Mm -hmm. I want to quickly throw it to, to Arizona where, um, Nick Jalmerson, Jalmerson, uh, has refused to waive his no trade clause at this point in time. Mm -hmm. Um, a guy that's uh, got a five million dollar price tag on him, obviously something that the Coyotes would like to move uh, with with their new GM in place. Merson's um, a 33 year old. Um, he does have uh, he does have that defensive uh, mindset. He's not an offensive uh, defenseman for the most part, but uh, you know. Here's a guy that uh they obviously they'd like to shed some payroll um, they're they're obviously gonna make a run uh to keep Taylor Hall, but mm-hmm. to do that they have to they have to open up space and um you know, what are your thoughts on on Wilson not uh not waiving that uh, no trade clause?
1: Well, it shows his commitment to the team. Which, considering their financial situations and what's going on with players getting late pay and stuff like that, and the fact that they're cutting salaries during the pandemic is troubling for an organization like that, I mean, to see him commit and stay in the desert, that's great. But in that essence, you know, he's going to have to be a cap casualty if they want to keep Taylor Hall. They want to have some sort of success, right? I don't know why he's hesitant on waiving especially with what's being reported right now. Cause even if he wants to stay, what's going on in that organization. If I was a player in that situation, this is just me personally. I don't want to have to deal with that extra baggage. I don't want to have to deal with the internal like issues that's going wrong with the organization. You should be able to like, you know, be on the same level with like your coaching staff, GMs and uh, higher ups as well. There's a major disconnect right there. And if I'm a player, I do not want to be a part of that, but You know, it's ultimately his decision. If he wants to stay, he wants to stay. That's great. Because, you know, they could use some extra help on the back end. And not only that, who else are they going to try and move? I mean, you try and move Oliver Ekman Larson, your captain? Because he's at 8.25 mil, I believe. They're in a very interesting situation right now. And... It's gonna to be tough, especially if Drummondson is staying at five million. But we know that Taylor Hall said that maybe, hey, he knows it's during a pandemic. He could take a pay decrease, knowing what's going on.
0: Yeah, yeah, I know, and and I think you nailed it on the on the head. Uh, obviously, you know, you kind of question why Drummondson wants to stay there. But uh, that being said, it does show loyalty to the team, and I think he's. Uh, you know he's a he's a guy that's been pretty loyal over over his career in terms mm-hmm. of uh, where he ends up. But I, I, at the end of the day, I remember when um, you know Leaf fans went nuts when Matt Sundin went wave his no trade clause at the trade deadline yeah. uh, to to I give. I was the, one of them. Yep, yeah, and and <laughs> to give the Leafs an option to to move him to try and get some pieces for the future and. uh, you know, obviously, there was frustration there uh, among a lot of Leafs nation, and I'm sure it's the same with Arizona fans right now. Mm-hmm. But at the end of the day, you have to remember that these players earned those contracts. Um, you, you can't be mad at the the players for wanting stability and and wanting to stay where they are and, and knowing what their future holds. And that's why they put those no no trade clauses into their contracts. At the end of the day, it's it's you know the general managers who offer up those no trade clauses. It's the mm-hmm. it's those guys that put them in the in the contracts and sign and sign those deals and pay the paychecks. So I mean, if if that's uh, something that's causing a stir in Arizona, then I think you got to look back to John Chaka, who uh, obviously is no longer there, and mm-hmm. and you know that's that's kind of where your your frustration lies if you're an Arizona a Coyote fan at at this point in time, but. Um, I I have no issue with him not waiving it. Uh, Like you said, I'm not really sure why he wants to stay there. Obviously, this is an organization in shambles right now and uh, has been for, for far too long. Um, That said, we've talked about in previous episodes, no teams going anywhere. Gary Bettman doesn't want to move any teams out of, out of where they are right now. And, um, you know, it's ultimately up to him, whether he wants to stay or not. And, at this point in time, it looks like he wants to be a part of the the solution rather than uh, um, move on from it. So, yeah, um, you know, kudos to him for for the loyalty and and hopefully
1: it works out for him in Arizona. Yeah, I'm just looking at cap friendly right now. 1.116 million in projected cap space. 37.3 allocated affords, Clayton Keller making the most of 7.15. 28.6 allocated defense. And because of Nick Tromelson and Ekman Larson's no movement clause, you're you're in a tough spot if you're trying to move people and create space. So, they, yeah, like you said, they're in quite a bit of a jam right now and not to point the blame, but yeah, it was under John Chikas' watch. So it'll be interesting to see what Armstrong does, because this is a big situation right now in Arizona.
2: Yeah,
0: and, uh, you know, obviously moving on from that, uh, we had uh, another trade in the NHL. uh, And once again, it was the Pittsburgh Penguins that were involved in the trade. Um, Patrick Hornquist going to Florida for Mm -hmm. Colton Sevier and uh, Matheson, so defenseman Matheson. So um, obviously Pittsburgh's kind of in the same boat. They're trying to shed some
1: salary cap. Um, What are your thoughts on that trade? I was kind (laughs) of shocked because it was initially reported by Kevin Weeks, or from what I saw, it was being reported from multiple outlets, but the first one I saw was from Kevin Weeks, Hornquist for Matheson. I was kind of confused because I think Matheson is a major defensive liability, but I love the energy that Hornfist brings. So I love this deal for Florida, but I did not like it for Pittsburgh whatsoever because it did not make any sense to me whatsoever. Um, again, Hornfist brings a grit, energy and a net presence. Net front presence. I can't speak today. Oh, my God. Yeah, I was very confused. But now that Colton Sevier is going the other way, I do like him. Um, it gives them some boost uh, up front for the Penguins. But at the same time, taking on Matheson's contract, its for what he's doing right now, I do not like it one bit for Pittsburgh. I think it's another big mistake on their part. And it just seems like the moves that they're making right now are just major, major head-scratchers right now.
0: Yeah, no, 100%. And I, I, I completely agree. Obviously, we we uh, talked a lot about the and deal, and and kind of question that one. And, and now we're kind of in the same boat questioning it again for Pittsburgh on mm-hmm. on this deal. But, uh, you know, I think, I don't think we're the only ones questioning. I think uh, I, oh. honestly, uh, I think uh, Hornquist was a little bit uh, surprised by the deal as well. Um, yeah. Obviously a guy who's played, uh, I believe six years with the Penguins, won two Stanley cups um, going one way. Um, you know, he's got the leadership and I think that's, That's probably a big reason why Florida wanted to go after a guy like that. He's got the experience. He's got the leadership. He's got the grit. Um, And like you said, I mean, they're moving a guy in Matheson who's who's certainly a a defensive liability, has had a couple injuries um, over the past couple of seasons. Um, And then, you know, they get a guy like Sevier, who's a great great penalty killer. But again, um, you know, you're talking about a bottom six guy where – you know, you're kind of losing out on a top six guy in, in Hornquist. So mm-hmm. for me, that the, the deal doesn't necessarily make sense from that standpoint. Um, that being said, um, I can see, you know, maybe why they move it if, if you're looking to, to open up cap space with the with the, uh, the level cap going into next season. Uh, that, that that would be the only explanation that I, I've got uh, – for
1: from coming from me anyway. Mm-hmm. Just a quick question to you. As I, I, mean, I mean, obviously we know Crosby and Malkin are their one, two, but who, based on like their depth right now, who do you see them as their wingers? I mean, obviously you're not going to separate Crosby and Gensel. I think you could put Zucker on with Malkin, uh, Malkin, but who do you see as like their top six going forward, or not necessarily top six, top four, aside from your two stars right now? um I think you're definitely talking about
0: you know Kapanen's probably going to be in the top six um I I could see him probably on the on the right side with uh with Crosby and Gunsell on the on the top line and then I would say your 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 other guy is probably Brian Rust um obviously Rust had a had a good year last year and and I would call it a breakout season for himself but uh That's kind of where I'd be sitting at this point in time. Um, you know, had you not moved Hornquist, you're probably talking he's in the top six and either Rust or Kapanen moved down. But, mm-hmm. um, you know, I don't think their top six is as, let's say, scary as it once was. No. Um, obviously, the wingers... Uh. And, and to be honest, Jason Zucker had... You know he had a good good run in the last little bit of the season with Pittsburgh, but I don't think he's he, he's not the perfect fit for for this Pittsburgh team up front in my, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. Um, I think he excelled uh, with Minnesota because he got ice time and he and he saw the puck uh, a lot more. But you, when you're talking with like Gunsel and Crosby and Malkin, you're talking about three guys that possess the puck, uh, you know for for most of the game or most of their shifts anyways. Um and yeah, it's just um I, I just think that uh, they've they've actually downgraded over during the offseason um thus far, unless unless like I said they're they're looking for some way to open up cap space and make a move. That's that's all I can think of.
1: Yeah. I mean, as at this point, yeah, happening taking over that top six spot. I mean, they brought him in to possibly Play that role and maybe get him jump started with possibly Crosby. But again, we've seen Kapanen play in the top six with Tavares and Matthews. Will that still translate over to Crosby? I mean, then again, Crosby makes, you know, he can make any winger look like, you know, an elite player as well. I'm not saying that Kapanen is an elite, but he's, you know, he's been average. He's been good when he wants to be, and if he's playing alongside in that top six, he can't be good when he wants to be. He has to be good every single night if he's playing with Cindy Crosby. And, yeah, I mean, I kind of think that, like, when they acquired Zucker, it made sense. I mean, they wanted to go for another deep run. Obviously, it didn't work out as planned, but, you know, I think still in hindsight, it was still a good move, and it still gives them, you know another option on both wing sides at this point. I mean, we agree with you that, you know, their wing depth or their forward depth is not as strong as it was in the past. And it may be a step back from what they're normally used to, but it's, again, it's another interesting situation going on in Pittsburgh right now. Yeah. And, uh,
0: we, Going off of that, we've talked a lot about Montreal this off-season already uh, since mm-hmm. they they exited the uh, COVID playoffs here. Um, they they're making news again, uh, re-signing Jeff Petrie, defenseman Jeff Petrie, to a four-year contract extension worth 25 million. The deal carries an annual cap hit of 6.25 million until uh, or or through the 2024-25 season. Um, obviously a shutdown guy, a guy that's been a huge piece to their, uh, their ongoing puzzle here, uh, in Montreal. Um, what do you think of the, the cap at 6.25 million
1: over, over the next four years? I, I know last week we like ripped on the Joel Edmondson deal, but this is a very good deal for Montreal. I mean, yeah, maybe cap hit may seem kind of excessive at this point. Um, But at the same time, it's something that, you know, they wanted to lock him up for a long time. They wanted to lock him up for, you know, uh, at least, uh, like, they gave him an extra four more years to try and help out with the team. And I think that in the past three years, what they saw with him, like, 40-plus points... Power play, penalty kill, and uh, honestly, his play in the playoffs was just absolutely phenomenal. I think this was a, like, I really do like this move from Montreal. I really do. And, you know, considering that, you know, he made, uh, Bergeron made mistakes with Osner, made mistakes with Edmondson, you know what you're getting with Jeff Petrie. You know what he's been to your team for the for quite some time right now. You know what he's going to do. He deserves that money. And he's been a major contributor on the power play. Again, penalty kill. And again, he stepped up as an offensive player this year in uh, the playoffs. And honestly, to have that defensive depth right behind Shea Weber is a really good signing for me.
0: Yeah, I, I agree. And uh, I think, like you said, we kind of bust their balls a little bit on the Edmondson signing. Yeah. Uh, in terms of uh, you know just being kind of too much for a guy that's not going to give you what what you know he's he might you might be thinking he's worth. Um, that said, over six seasons with Montreal, uh, Petrie has 179 points in 385 regular season games. Uh, the last three seasons, he's had 40 plus points, uh, including 40 points last season in 71 games. Um, he ha- never did that over his entire career until those last three seasons, so until he hit 30 year- thirty years old. Um, he averages over 23 minutes a game. Uh, last year, he averaged almost 24 minutes a game, and in 2018-2019, as a 31-year-old, he was 18th in Norris Trophy votes, so he, he, he did receive some recognition in terms of what he does on the ice. Uh, mm-hmm. And to me, like you said, he stepped up offensively, scored some big goals down the stretch over the last couple of seasons for, for Montreal. Um, I personally like the deal. I think they have the room for it right now. Um, And uh, why not utilize that space uh, for a guy like a shutdown defenseman like he is. Um, Obviously that's something we talk about a lot in Toronto and and what the Leafs need is a, is a shutdown guy. And I think a guy like Petrie is exactly what you need on that, uh, you know, first or second pairing to, to kind of, even things out a little bit uh, for, for you know, like young guys like the uh, Riley, who would be an uh, mm-hmm. uh, offensive guy. So good, great signing by Montreal. Uh, hell of a job um, locking him up for a four-year deal. And, and he, he's that veteran guy as the team gets younger and,
1: and starts to develop their players. Yeah, no, and, and, and again, like the cap hit, it may seem excessive, but it's only for four mm-hmm. years. And he's 32, and he's going to be around at that age where his play does start to decrease in his mid-30s at some point as well. Um, but then again, you got Alexander Romanoff, 20 years old. He could learn from both him and Weber. Um, yeah, they, that would be a really great opportunity for him to try and learn from these two guys, because I think Romanov fits that bill of a kind of two-way shutdown guy, and I think he can possibly be or learn well from Shea Weber and Petrie. So again, yeah, really, really great signing. I mean, I, I mean, I know we talked a lot about Montreal on this podcast, considering we're a Leaf podcast, but there are some good moves that, you know, he's made and this is one of them. So yeah, I'm actually kind of jealous of this contract really. And a little bit more Montreal talk for you. Um,
0: (laughs) Obviously there was a lot of discussion around, uh, former Leaf, uh, Ty Domi's son, Max in the playoffs uh, as he centred the fourth line for Montreal. A um, lot of conversation of whether he wanted out or, or what was happening there. His agent came out <clears throat> and did uh, clarify, um, saying that uh, he was a, he was very distraught by the comments many made when he returned home to Toronto and his location was changed on his social media from Montreal. It wasn't a statement of discontent with Montreal. It was simply a young man on social media changing the location to where he was residing. If he were in Florida on vacation, he would have put Florida. That's how crazy it is. It's shameful that some in the media would portray this as a slight against Montreal or the Canadians. This is a talented young man that only dreamed his whole life to have the opportunity to play on a Canadian team. What are you buying that? Are you buying that he is content in Montreal, or is this a uh, backpedal trying to save any sort of relationship with Montreal
1: if he were to stay there? I mean, it's sad that we have to point to someone's social media nowadays to figure out what's going on. I mean, it's kind of like the Cal cal Clippers took Toronto Maple Leafs out of his bio right on Twitter and then everyone is just like no and then all of a sudden he puts a picture of himself as a Leaf back and it's like yes he's gonna resign and then it's like nope he's gone um it's kind of weird how we're in that situation in this in right now in this day and age honestly I really don't know I mean yeah you could buy the fact that like oh yeah you know I'm going to California I'm going to change my location in California but really, is that what's really going to be on your mind to change your location to where you are? I mean, even if you just post pictures about where you are, we know where you're going to be. We know you're going to be in Florida. We know you're going to be in California. Um, I don't know. I'm just going to throw out the Maldives or something. You want to go on a tropical getaway or something. But to change your location, That to me, I'm not really buying it. It's possible, but I'm not for a second buying it whatsoever. I think there is some... Disconnect. Maybe I don't. I again. I. This is more like gossip in high school, and I'm like kind of over it. But yeah, I mean, I don't. I really don't know what to make of this. I really yeah. don't. Yeah, no. I'm like
0: you. I I'm trying not to read too much into the location change. Um, you know, it is what it is. And a and you mentioned it. it's it's so sad that we're we we dive into people's social media now just to see where they're going to sign next or 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 if they're if they're content with their their current location but um I do think there's some discontent there obviously this is a guy that he he's not wanting to play fourth line minutes and mm-hmm. um you know you have to look at at his history he came from the London Knights where he was a star player he he went to Arizona where he played big minutes and was and was a key for them and now he jumps into Montreal and he starts his career off there you know playing an important role and, and all mm-hmm. of a sudden he's sitting fourth line uh, in the Stanley cup playoffs. Um, so I, I do think that there's some discontent there and uh, I, I wouldn't be surprised to see Montreal maybe move him at some point down the road. Um, that said, uh, you know, like I said, I don't want to read too much into his location change. It is what it is. And, yeah. you know, um, if, if we do see a move down the road, I you know, it like I said, it wouldn't be it wouldn't surprise me, but um, at this point in time, uh, I'll I'll stick with the agent and uh, you know kind of side with what he's saying and yeah. believe that there is no there's no um,
1: you know uh, no no nothing meant by, by what was done. something yeah yeah I mean seventy two points to forty four forty four points that is a big drop. For someone who's, like, you know, supposed to be your main top six, even top-line contributor, right? But, in the end, I, I don't know, like, again, I don't, I don't know what's running through Domi's head right now. But with the emergence of Nick Suzuki, he had a breakout playoffs. Just Barry Cockaniemi, after, you know, many thought that he was going to be a bust. He bounced back and played hard. I mean, Ryan he uh, um Yolonen, they got some good players coming up that, you know, may push Domi out. And I don't know if that's a factor for him, but it may be to him that, you know, there are other players coming up that could push him out of a spot. Because let's face it, um, I obviously, Domi was playing fourth line minutes, but in that situation, I'm playing Suzuki and Kakaniemi over Domi. They were the ones leading the charge, and Domi was, like, virtually invisible. If He wanted to, like, make a statement. If he was on the fourth line and worked his way up, okay, great. But he had nothing going for him. Yeah, no, and I, I agree. Like, that's
0: a major drop-off. I think... Right now, they can eat up the cap. Um, but it, there's going to come a time where, where Domi's expendable. And I, I, like I said, I wouldn't be surprised to see him moved at some point uh, before mm-hmm. his contract's up. And, um, you know, whether he's he's still with Canadian team or not, I, I just don't see it being Montreal. Especially with the 16th pick that they have this year. Yeah. So they've got That's- a lot of t- talent in the pipeline. And, and uh, you know, it's it, it really gets... Uh, you know, it forces players to almost try and play outside of their, their comfort zone. And, and I think that's kind of what's happening with, with Domi right now. Mm-hmm. Um, but, uh, talking about, uh, potential trades, uh, one guy that's been discussed quite a lot, uh, heading into the off season is Patrick Lyon in Winnipeg, um, former second round or second overall pick, uh, behind Matthews. um, you know, had an unbelievable rookie season. Kind of has faltered a little bit in the last couple of years in terms of uh, his play and injuries. And um, now Winnipeg is discussing whether he's their guy and uh, whether or not he will be moved. And according to many reports right now, they are listening to offers. There's no guarantee that they move him, but they are listening to offers to see what's out there. Um, is he a guy that could be moved this off season?
1: Again, that's a really tough question. I mean, I don't know. Are the Maple Leafs involved? Because it seems like whenever there's a star player, you know, Maple Leafs are always involved. Um, yeah, I. It's an interesting situation right now. I, I've I've never seen something quite like this. I mean, they thought that he was going to be, you know one of their main guys going forward, but the fact that maybe he's not getting that chance playing on the top line with Mark Scheifele, And I think that, you know, you've seen what he can do. You've seen that he can shoot the puck and be a lethal sniper. Um, if they don't feel that he's that kind of guy anymore, they could look to upgrade elsewhere. We know they're kind of thin on defense right now. Do you try and move him for a guy that could fit into your top four? Um, Again, and and I think this is why we love the offseason so much because players that we don't think can move are in the rumor mill and possibly can move. And if this does happen, yeah, it kind of doesn't fit well with Winnipeg right now because you have a solid top six right now. You know you've got Wheeler, Kyle Connor, Laine. I mean, honestly, as a top line of Shifley... Line A and Connor. That is like that matches up with like, you know, Stamkos, Kucherov point. Um that that would be like one of the top lines in the league. To me, if there's anybody that should be moved on Winnipeg, I'm thinking at looking at moving Nick Ehlers more than I am at Patrick Line A right now. Because I think he, you have more value for Patrick Line than you do Nick Ehlers at this point. And he's regressed big time since the last recording 60 points in 2017 18. Yeah. I mean, I know. he got 50 points this year, 58 points this year, but is that because of like maybe they do value him more than Line?
0: Yeah. And I, I agree. I think right now we talked about discontent with, uh, with Domi, and I think. Right now, Line a wants to see himself as a top-line guy. Look, coming out of the draft, Line a was probably one of the more confident players that I've ever spoken to. Um, oh, yeah. I, I got a chance to talk with him at the the NHL Combine that year. And this is a guy who knew what he wanted, knew where he wanted to be, and, and believed in himself. And, you know, obviously, in a, in a pro athlete, that's, that's kind of what you want. Uh, in terms of you know having that confidence, knowing that you can go out there and get the job done. But um, you know it does get in the way and hinder you a little bit when maybe you're not getting what you want. And, and at this point in time, like you mentioned, he wants to be on the top line with Mark Shifley, and I just don't think Winnipeg sees him as that guy at this point in time. Um, I think they, they want to spread out that offense, and they want to see more from him uh, without... The star players surrounding him he's supposed to be mm-hmm. a star player for them um and I think that's why they want to you know they want to stick him down you know and, and see what he's able to do with with other players see if he can be that guy that makes the players around him better um and I I think that's causing a little bit of frustration a little bit of uh, a stir in the pot for for Patrick Laine and uh, I don't necessarily think it's going to be a guy. He's going to be a guy that they move. But remember, this is a guy that signed a bridge deal. So he's going into the last year of his bridge deal,
1: mm-hmm.
0: um, you know, and, and, and at a decent price. So he's going to be a restricted free agent at the end of the year. Is he a guy that maybe maybe Winnipeg doesn't want to give the money to? He's
1: Let's be honest. If he doesn't get the money he wants, he's holding out. Oh, yeah. So and I, I, I didn't really do think that. No, no. I, I I just wanted to get this point before I forget. I really do think that you know you're talking about the contract. I th- before they get to next year, because I really do think that he is going to hold them. You know, hold them like have the like you know, um, the major ultimatum. Give me this or you know trade me. So I'm thinking they may want to avoid that this year and have to deal with, then have to deal with that down the line. Yeah, no, I, I completely agree.
0: I think the I think the contract's a big deal. Um, he's gonna want a big payday. And I just I don't think I don't see Winnipeg as a team that's interested in giving him that with mm-hmm. the players they have up front along with him. I think they're getting more production from a guy like Kyle Connor, from a guy like Mark Scheifley. You know, uh, I think they value Nikolai Ehlers to a level that maybe maybe they would be more willing to pay him that big payday rather than give it to line a and, and maybe that's where this is, is leading. Um, and that's kind of like the, the smoke underneath the fire that's, uh, being lit right now in the media. So, yeah. um, definitely something to keep an eye on. Uh, I don't see him going anywhere in the next, in the next year, but, uh, maybe come next off season, you see a sign and trade or, or something along those lines as well. Yeah.
1: Yeah, I'd be shocked if he's moved this year at this point. But then again, like you said, I'm valuing Kyle Connor and Nick Ehlers more than I am Patrick Liney. I mean, this is still a guy who can, you know, shoot the puck. 36 in his rookie year, 44 in sophomore, still cracked 30, almost cracked 30 this year, despite getting more assists and being more of a team player. It It's an interesting scenario. That's That's a simple way to put it at this point.
0: Yeah, no, definitely. And uh, talking about players that could be available, um, obviously, you know, Ottawa uh, making some major changes this offseason won't bring back Craig Anderson. I have placed Bobby Ryan on waivers uh, Mm -hmm. for the purpose of a buyout. Um, Right now, the longest serving Sen is going to be Colin White, who has 155 regular season games
1: under his belt. Yeah, I'm looking at their depth chart on Cat Friendly right now. And man, that's a lot of space to be had. I don't know if obviously I the reason why I think they got rid of or they're not willing to continue going on with Bobby Ryan's contract is they want to pay their other guys coming up. I mean, they want to pay. They saw what Anthony Duclair can do this year he may rightfully earn another contract, maybe a four- or five-year contract with them. Um, but let's not forget, there's going to be other players coming in cheap that may vote in their favor. There's Josh Norris, there's Logan Brown, there's Alex Formanton and Drake Batherson. All of them are still on their ELCs and are RFAs at some point in two to three years' time right now. So I think this is, the, this is like what... Toronto did you know try and like build up with a lot of young players obviously they needed probably surround them with some more depth um, guys as well veterans to help teach the kids go in the right direction but they got a lot of space and a lot of roster spots and a lot of money to try and utilize right now they're at 43 million with a cap hit yeah That's so like I, a lot of money yeah yeah
0: obviously uh, like I said you know I think I think they're in a full full rebuild, full reset. Um, they that they, they'll go out and sign a few guys, and obviously they're going to have to fill the fill the net uh, with with Craig Anderson being gone. But uh, you know, this is a team that's probably not going to compete for the next couple of years. Oh. Um, you know, they'll get their couple players this year in the top five there, and, and obviously build off of that. But. Um, you know, it, it is, it is as a from a Leafs or sorry, a Sen, Sense fan uh, standpoint, knowing Colin White is your longest serving Sen, um, mm-hmm. it definitely, definitely becomes a little worrisome in terms of what you're going to have to put up with over the next couple of seasons. Yeah. Um, you know, we talked about Bobby Ryan and uh, him coming back from his, uh, his, um, his his little absence as well, mm-hmm. and uh, you know, I think you know this is guy. This is a guy who's going to look for a bounce back, and and it might be a a, a good veteran signing for a team uh, at some point this off season to just pick him up for a year and see what he's able to bring. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, he he's got something to prove and, and and a chip on his shoulder, and and it's definitely going to be interesting to see if he lands somewhere um, this off season. And as for the Senators, I mean you know, enjoy, enjoy the ride. Cause this is going to be a, a long process and it's not a two to three year rebuild. It's a four to five year rebuild. And I think mm-hmm. it's going to be, it's going to be exciting when they get there, but uh, they got to do it right.
1: Yeah. And I totally understand what their reasoning buying Bobby Ryan out of his contract. I mean, it's at a high cap hit. I mean, granted, he did have a rough year, and he's had a rough couple seasons to begin with over the last few seasons. But like, you know, he was able to overcome it. And we saw what he did in his first game back. He's got a lot to prove. And like you said, he's got a chip on his shoulder. But I'm, I'm at the point now is why not keep him for, you know, maybe another year or two until some of the younger players get more comfortable with the environment and then buy him out? Yeah.
0: Yeah, no, 100%. And, uh, you know, it's it's one of those things that you're just going to, again, we're, we're going to keep an eye on and, and see how, how Ottawa does this offseason. But I can see them making a couple of moves uh, just to, to shore up that uh, that team for the next little while until they can get those young guys going and, and really develop
1: uh, their pipeline. Mm-hmm. I'm just going to throw this out there again. Seven picks in the first two rounds. So... If we think that they've, you know, have a good prospect system coming up, they have a chance to be one of the best, especially in a deep draft this year. Oh, oh yeah. No,
0: for sure. And that's that's what it's all about is building, building your pipeline and, and developing from there. Um, going off of that, though, let's get into our Maple Leaf talk. That's why you guys come here. That's what yes. we want to talk about. Um, forget the other teams for now. Forget the other teams. We're done with them. <laughs> We talked last week about Manny Malhotra coming in. This yes. week we talk about Paul McLean coming in uh, for the Maple Leafs as an assistant coach. Good signing uh, for me. I like it. There's a lot of a lot of experience there. Um, understands the game, sees the game well. Wasn't always my favorite as a head coach, but I think as an
1: assistant, he really brings a lot to the table. Mm-hmm. And he was in a, serving uh, as an assistant under John Tortorella this past year, if I'm not mistaken, correct? Yes, he was. Yes, he was. So yeah, he's Paul McClain's a Jack Adams winning coach. He was an assistant under Tortorella, Jack Adams winning coach. He has the pedigree and he has the knowledge of the game. Like you said, to help out a younger, uh, younger, not necessarily, like, obviously he's inexperienced. He's only had one year, but uh, a guy like Sheldon key to help him out. And, Honestly, I, I love this signing, but like Manny Malhotra, that signing came, this signing came out of nowhere and I was absolutely shocked. I'm just scrolling through my Twitter feed and I'm just like, Maple Leafs Twitter. Oh, it was signed Paul McLean. I'm like, cool. I had to do a double take because I'm like, wait, what? Like, like, there was not even any talks about like, you know, not like the conversations that you've had of possibly signing Bruce Boudreaux, right? Malhotra came out of nowhere. McLean came out of nowhere but i love these signings no matter what and according to Jonas siegel um he's going to be sort of that eye in the sky role for the coaching staff so he's going to possibly also be keith's right hand man overseeing everything giving him information giving him suggestions on what to do and i don't think you could find another better option right now than paul mcclain with the pedigree that he's had
0: yeah no and and like like on the ice, you know, you need that veteran on the bench. And, uh, you know, obviously Mel Holtra and Keith are a little bit younger in terms of uh, their experience uh, behind an NHL bench. And um, you mentioned it uh, with the Senators from 2011-12 to 2014-15. He, had, he had amassed a record of 114-90 and 35. So, I mean, you know, going back to the Senators for a second, this is a team that obviously was better when he was behind the bench. Um, and, and, uh, he really, he showed what he was able to do. And, um, you know, I think, I think it's great bringing in that, uh, that veteran leadership behind the bench as well. I think mm-hmm. it, it's going to add a lot to what we see from Keith, what we see from Mel Holtra and, and
1: uh, in, in terms of getting this, uh, this team over the hump. Yeah. I mean, I honestly, I mean, we saw it like his record too. He was an assistant under Mike Babcock in Detroit. Um, worked under Bruce Boudreau, who they've also been, uh, again, rumored to be in the mix with. But I don't think that Bruce Boudreau would possibly be in the mix right now. But how cool would it be to have McLean and Boudreau work under the same regime of Sheldon Keefe? I think that encompasses everything of like experience behind the bench, helping out a younger coach, eye for the game differently, and try and get that good balance of the old school mentality with the new school mentality. Yeah, no, I
0: 100% agree. And uh, talking about younger players, um, you want to talk about the mock draft a little bit um, in terms of what the Leafs might be able to do with that 15th overall pick, that 44th overall pick um, in
1: developing their pipeline. Yeah, so if you haven't been on or like following a lot of the draft, uh, you know, mock drafts and everything like that, DraftProspectsHockey.com and FC, also known as NHLEntryDraft.com, have two mock draft simulators. And I'm, I'm like, addicted to this, man. Forget about video games. I'm addicted to doing these mostly every single day. And the recent one that I did with uh, Draft Prospects Hockey, <clears throat> I did a simulator where, you know, Leafs had the 15th pick. I traded it down, got a third-round pick, and tried to, like, get a balance going. My top three picks for Toronto, and I kid you not. Obviously, you know, everyone loves Braden Schneider. So I went with Braden Schneider. He was still available. Wanted to get Anton Lindell or Yaroslav Oskarov. They weren't there. So I'm like, you know what? Trade down. Ryan O'Rourke at 44 and Tyler Tulio with the 78th pick that I got from Chicago. Trading down. That to me, I love those top three picks right now. And I'm not just saying it because I did them. But those are the three players that I have high on my list in each of those rounds that Toronto should try and get. And even after that, I have Ian Moore, Dylan Grand, Blake Biondi, who I was kind of shocked to see as still at 176. And an interesting name, Trevor Kunter and Igor Chin- Chinnikov, who was an overager. And he had a really good bounce back year in the MHL. So I'm thinking if they're looking for an overager, he might be their guy. If you're looking at some younger USHL type players, beyond and Kunter are going to guys and it fills out their center depth with both of them. So, um, I, again, I'm really loving these draft mock drafts. And I really think that, you know, maybe we should probably do a full mock draft. Each of us give our picks at some point again, (laughs)
0: Yeah, there you go, Leafs Nation. If you have a, if you have a couple of minutes, go check out that site and uh, see what uh, see what you come up with in terms of uh, what the Leafs will get in in uh, the upcoming draft if they were to hold on to those picks, and uh, you know if if they were going to trade those picks, um, obviously. Mm-hmm. Obviously, it's an interesting tool for any armchair GM like us. Um, yeah, but uh, definitely, definitely a, a fun little tool to play around with and see what you're able to get, and and it'll be uh, even better when you can see the real thing and see how close you were in,
1: in terms of what the Leafs
0: uh, go after and what they need.
1: Yeah, and I and I really like DSP's um, option of like trading up or down picks. That that just proves that like you know what I kind of felt like a GM for a split second right there.
0: Yeah, yeah, no, exactly. You get the you get the real experience. Um, going off of that, uh, obviously we we're gonna have our weekly uh, Pietrangelo update. Um, mm-hmm. something that uh, we're gonna talk about until he signs either with St. Louis or or the Leafs or somebody else. Uh, but Pietrangelo, um, there's a lot of talk about who the Leafs would trade in a potential sign and trade deal um, or 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 what the what the Leafs would would trade in terms of just uh, get acquiring the the, the big defenseman. Um, Neilander's been mentioned. Uh, Marner's obviously been mentioned. Um, i've I've even read reports that uh, there's the potential that Riley could be a guy that uh, is moved to acquire uh, this this big defenseman, but um my personal opinion uh I think as much as it's gonna be a, a an uh unpopular one is that Marner's gonna probably get you the biggest return i absolutely I do think, I do think that if you're gonna move something in uh, with the interest of getting a big return Marner's your your top guy Nylander's gonna have to be a part of a package uh and if you if you decide to go, with Riley, I, I don't understand the Riley one. Um, for me, that's a guy that should have been your captain. Uh, was there through the highs and the lows, uh, has been has been a long serving Maple Leaf, and uh, he's kind of your offensive uh, offensive minded defenseman. So I, I I don't really understand that that one uh, that suggestion, but. Um, it it is out there and, and uh, I guess that's the beauty of the off season is y- you get all kinds of reports, all kinds of suggestions and yeah. uh, you can kind of go with them or, or uh, combat them the way that we we're about to uh, in this, in this part.
1: Yeah. And the only reason why I brought that up is because uh, I was watching the Steve Dangle podcast and there was a video where they talk about this situation and, it's really interesting considering the fact that, okay, when you think of training a player, you automatically think William Nylander right now at this point. Simply because cheap contract, well, not necessarily cheap contract, but it's good value for what he can do. He's a he's a 30-goal score, 60-point guy, and he, he's just scratching the surface right now. But uh, Steve mentioned that Marner has already been paid $30 million of a $65 million contract has already been paid right now. Never mind the cap hit. If you're looking at, if a team's looking at a contract that's already been paid right now, you are looking at Mitch Marner. I mean, and, and you just said it before, you can get the better return. Like, yeah, you could get a good return for William Nylander, but right now, if you're looking at Mitch Marner as a target, and even for a team to get to the cap floor, that $10 million is really all that you need at this point as well
0: yeah no and and like you mentioned the fact that he's already been paid nearly 30 million dollars of his contract makes it Mm -hmm. really enticing for another team to 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 bring him on um that's that's the big thing with the the contracts that the Leafs have been signing are are the majority of it comes in signing bonus and Mm -hmm. that's uh I I read a report uh, I forget who uh who who had written it but uh that's Kind of what Angelo is looking for is is a Maple Leaf type deal where yeah, the majority of it is going to be paid out and guaranteed on July 1st in signing bonus. And, mm-hmm. and you know, I think uh, the structure, the way that Dubas has done these deals uh, really makes for enticing trade options down the road. And, yeah. and that's kind of where it opens the door to the discussion that Marner could be a guy that is moved because of what uh what's left to actually pay out to him and, and it makes it enticing for teams because obviously the the dollar amount that they're putting out is isn't nearly as much as what uh what you'd see in uh
1: when it comes to a cap hit yeah and i think that's the thing too we're just only looking at the cap hit because that's the main important thing for a team to get the roster underneath that number right we're only solely focusing on the cap hit when he mentioned that number I'm just like, oh, my God, I can't believe I've been missing that for all this time. And even with John Tavares, obviously, you know, like you said, they, uh, if Petranza was looking for, you know, added bonus of like, you know, getting those signing bonuses or getting those front that front loaded contract, which I think you can work in his favor. You can make it top like front heavy and then, you know, sort of decrease the amount later on if you do choose to sign him for seven years. We already see this with Tavares' contract in the first 3 years 15 million in signing bonuses 14 million in signing bonuses 11 million in signing bonuses right now that's a lot of money in signing bonuses and his average base salary is under 1 million and again if you're looking to move somebody right now Mitch Marner's contract is similar to that of John Tavares and if you could possibly get a really solid return I'm looking at you know Maybe another like top line player, maybe not in the mold of Mitch Marner, but you could get a lot of great prospects, you could get a lot of picks. And despite the fact that you know he's been really playing really well, you know, a 90 point guy, um, he could have had 90 points again this year, he was on pace for that, but you know, the pandemic and he was out with you know an injury as well. You're losing Marner and his ability to have more assistant points and PK time, but you're still having that offensive threat and then William Nylander is still on your team. And this is where I think it gets interesting right now. And if you do move somebody and it is Mitch Marner, oh man, I don't know what's going to happen because there's like, Mitch Marner is split just like William Nylander split. You have people who love him. You have people who not necessarily hate him, but hate the contract and the way he held out. You have William Nylander, people love him. I'm one of those but you also have the people who hate what he did holding out for the contract and signing with like two minutes left. So either way, you're damned if you do or you're damned if you don't, no matter which player is gone. Yeah, no, I completely agree. And I think, you uh, know, like we
0: said, um, this is going to be a discussion we probably have right up until uh, Petrangelo signs or or a move is made to, to acquire him. Um, but uh, definitely... Definitely something to keep an eye on, and it'll be interesting to see what the Leafs do if they go down that road. Um, as we talked about with Mark Masters a few episodes ago, mm-hmm. they're not done. They're not even close no. to being done. Um, but for the time being, I think we should throw it to our guest for the episode. Uh, I he's one. Think he's, we should. He's one of us. Uh, one of the hockey writers. Uh, a longtime writer for the hockey writers, credentialed with the Erie Otters of the OHL as well as the Columbus Blue Jackets. Um, a, a great, a great writer. A great uh, discussion haver. Let's let's create a new term there. Love it. Um, a guy that uh, you know. I, I'm fortunate enough to call a friend. Uh, I, I meet up with him every year at the combine. Um, but, uh, I'd like to throw it over to Mark Shag. All right, folks, we're honored to, to be joined by our, uh, Mark Shag. Uh, obviously our credentials manager over at the hockey writers, one of the greats, uh, at the hockey writers, uh, longtime writer, uh, credentialed with the Erie Otters and the Columbus Blue Jackets. Mark, thank you so much for coming on. We're honored to have you, bud.
2: Oh, Hey, um, Andrew and Peter, thanks for having me. Really appreciate it. Um,
0: obviously we want to get right into talking to you about the Columbus Blue Jackets this year. Um, you know, obviously our, our show is a Toronto, Toronto Toronto-based show and, uh, you know, Maple Leafs, Blue Jackets, that playing round, uh, it was definitely something to watch.
2: Mm. Yeah, it was. And it was a really interesting test of the Maple Leafs and their offensive ability. And have they grown enough as a group to be able to, you know not only win a playoff round but to try to make, you know make a run against the stout defense you know the, who's going to come out on top and you know if Columbus was going to win they're going to have to get timely scoring and they were going to have to play out of their minds um, on defense and that's what they did the goaltending was just outstanding throughout that whole series you know despite the game 4 collapse they were able to come out in a game 5 on Toronto's home ice and shut them out so it really showed just how stout they really were, but it also shows that the Maple Leafs have some work to do, and they're going to have a very interesting offseason coming up. Um, some very important decisions to make is we know the core, but they've got to be able to fill in the gaps with not the most money in the world. So, you know, Kyle Tubas has a really hard job ahead of him.
1: Mark, you just mentioned the, you know, the difference between the two teams, the stout defense of the Blue Jackets, the high end offense of the Leafs, but you also mentioned that they got timely scoring they yep. got the great goaltending. How is it that this team was able to accomplish this without necessarily having the pieces that they had previously last year when they swept Tampa Bay? I mean, there was no Bobrovsky, no Artemi Panarin, no Matt Shane. How were they able to do this?
2: Well, Seth Jones was still there. Mm-hmm. Zach Wierenski still there. Um, a lot of the veterans, you know, who they believe to be their core were still there. So even though it was a really down year offensively for them, they still believe in the way they play and who they build their core around. What their hope was that some players would take a step up. And the biggest example of that was Pierre-Luc Dubois. He really came of age a little bit in that series. A couple who had had the um, hat trick in the playoffs just really showed that he can be a number one center. And the scary part is he's got so much room still to grow, but yet we got a glimpse of what he could be. So now the Blue Jackets answer that question. They believe they have a number one center that they can build around. And so him being able to come up. And then there's a couple of shrewd moves that the Blue Jackets made as well. You know, like Gus Nyquist, like it's somebody that Kekalina brought in in free agency um, but is a very important part of the team just brings a veteran presence can bring some timely scoring. So yeah, they lost all that talent, but still they were able to just do enough, obviously on the back of goaltending and defense, mm-hmm. but they, 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 they found a way now that said, they really have to address that moving forward. And that's why this offseason is going to be just as um, interesting for the Blue Jackets as it is going to be for the Maple Leafs, because, There could be some um, explosive stuff going on, depending on what kind of a deal they can find.
0: You mentioned uh, Pierre-Luc Dubois and his kind of breakout playoff, his breakout season. Um, You know, is it a testament to what Tortorella is able to do behind the bench? Obviously we saw the interaction between the two of them early in the playoff round. Um, And, and you know, Tortorella takes a lot of criticism for how he is with the media, but he seems to find a way to get these young guys to, to, to buy in and develop their game into playing his system. Is that a testament mm-hmm. to how he's able to coach or or are we just finally getting to see the, the Dubois
2: that they took fourth overall? That's a little bit of both. And then that's actually a really good question because the Blue Jackets knew when they selected Dubois third overall, they thought that he could be a center and a dominant center. And it was just a matter of being able to develop him and give him the time to get to that point. But at the same time, John Tortorella deserves all the credit in the world. That's why he was a finalist for the Jack Adams Award, because mm-hmm. I think the thing that a lot of people tend to not know about Tortorella is we see the media rants, and you can have everyone's gonna have their own view of what of how he handles the media. But what he does with the players that he has the way that he's able to lead them and sometimes motivate them. I mean, we saw the, the exchange, as you mentioned, with Dubois. It's not that um, Tortorella is trying to demean him at all. He sh- Tortorella understands that Dubois has just so much more to give. And that's that's the approach that he takes. He sees that, you know, he goes into them, and it ended up being a little bit of an argument, but that's heat of the moment. That happens. That happens in hockey. But then the way that he responded to it, he's able to get players to respond to him in such a way because he takes the approach of honesty all the time. He doesn't hold, hold back any punches. He doesn't sugarcoat anything. He's completely truthful whether the player wants to hear it or not. And I think players really appreciate just how open and honest that that direct line of communication can be. And you know, it's that leadership skill that he brings to the team in which players respond to that. And a lot of players at the end of the day say, you know, Torts is the best coach I've ever played for because they know where they stand. You know, like I said no, no um, punches pulled or anything like that. It's, it, it's a really good working relationship that, um, he, that they end up having. And it'll be interesting to see how they're able um, to even bring more out of Dubois as we move forward.
1: Mark, you just mentioned the relationship that the players have with Tort's right now. Um, when he first came in with the Blue Jackets, do you see a difference or a difference of the attitude that the players had with Tortorella then? And was there like a major transformation up until this point right now? Because you're saying that, like, you know, the players love him. They love the blunt honesty that he gives. Um, was there any doubts that the players had of him beforehand or was it very mutual from the very beginning?
2: Well, it seemed very mutual from the beginning. They knew what they were getting from him because he's been in the league a long time and widely considered. About the way that he operates training camp and you know things like that. They, he came in at a time when the Blue Jackets had a culture, a little bit of a culture problem where mm-hmm. losing was the norm and the. You know, they, had, they had to fire Todd Richards after an 0-8 start, and Tortorella came in not knowing really any of the players whatsoever. In fact, they actually had to um, have nameplates on the back of the practice jerseys just so he could learn the names. But moving forward from that, this, they, they needed that little kick in the butt. You know, there just wasn't enough accountability within the locker room, but as soon as he got in there, things just started to change because – he demands a lot out of his players. Like if you're going to get ice time, it doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter if you're the first line center or a fourth line winger or anybody in between. If you're going to play for Tortorella, you're going to give your maximum effort 100% of the time, and you're going to you know, follow the system that he has out there to a T. And if you don't, you know, think of Ryan Dezingle last year. You know, They acquired him at the trade deadline along with um, Duchesne, well, Dazingo got scratched in the in the playoffs because he, he didn't give the maximum effort. Um, you know he he was upset about that, but Tortorella is consistent. He wants his players to be accountable and to give a hundred percent maximum effort. And from that point, if I'd say from like the second year on, you know th- there's a winning culture in there now. and I think that's the greatest one of the greatest coaching jobs he's ever done in the National Hockey League. I know he's won a cup, but he's converted the Columbus Blue Jackets from a laughing stock to now, you know, being in the playoffs for four years in a row, one of the more respectable franchises in the league. And I think that that's one of the more underreported aspects of what he's doing. Like the media focuses on his antics, but the job he's done in transforming Columbus is nothing short of spectacular.
0: As our in-house OHL guy, uh, Mark. Um, yeah. we, we we got the chance to see a little OHL content in uh, that playing series with Liam Foodie, uh, former yep. London Knight, and obviously Nick Robertson, um, former Pete. Um, what you know? What can you kind of give us from from what you saw those two play? Obviously, Robertson came out in the final game uh, for uh, in place of Andreas Johansson. Uh, me personally, I didn't think that uh, that was a, a good move by the Leafs, but. Um, mm-hmm. You know, two guys that obviously have the speed and, and the the, the high-end skill level to to make it in this league. Uh, what did you see from those two?
2: Robertson's a player, and I I tend to agree with you that I know they were trying to get a little bit of a boost, perhaps with Janssen coming in. Like maybe that would carry on the momentum from the end of Game Four. It just, it, it, unfortunately, it fell flat. But um, I can't wait to see what Robertson ends up becoming. He could definitely be an impactful forward for many, many years on the Leafs. Just what he was able to do in Peterborough, especially in that last year, his last OHL year until, you know, coming on the Leafs. It's just a matter of time, you know, and the thing that he's got, he's got the speed, he's got the skill. He's a good player for this day and age of the NHL and for the Leafs to get him where they did. Um, is good work by Kyle Dubas. Um, so I do expect that he'll make an impact as we as we move along here. Um, Foodie, same thing. He's a little bit of a different player. He's got the speed, but I think he's a little more well-rounded. Um, you know, He's had a very interesting year. He went from playing against Jack Eichel in Buffalo to playing against Shane Wright a couple nights later because of the weird, weird situation with the um, Columbus injuries. To go from playing against um, the number two pick in the 2015 draft one night, and then hopping back over to London and playing against um, an exceptional age player in Shane Wright, so um, he went back to London and became better defensively. That was the real focus for um, Dale Hunter um, and Foody, and it turned out the. Connor McMichael was the one that had the really good year in terms of offense. Who was the London red Tilson recipient? It was Liam Foody is because of everything that he did, not only offensively, but he became a leader and more accountable defensively. And you could just tell that time in the NHL for him as an emergency call up, his confidence grew leaps and bounds. And it's no wonder Tortorella turned to him in the playoffs. And you know, you 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 know the quote he had. He said he's got balls, and he scored a huge goal in that game five, and was noticeable. So he's he's going to be a player. He's going to be someone that could be depended upon um, offensively, defensively, on the penalty kill, perhaps even on the power play. They they for, even foresee him as a possible future center. So both Robertson and Foodie are are going to be good players it'll be really interesting to see the development path they take moving forward.
1: Mark, you had a piece about, or you got a, not necessarily a piece, but a series going on about potential trade partners with the uh, Columbus Blue Jackets. And one of the first ones was about uh, the Toronto Maple Leafs. Um, You suggested William Nylander for David Savard and Jonas Korpisalo. Do you feel that that is still something that both teams should look at? And well, I just want to get your take on getting to that proposal.
2: Mm. So that series you know, is, is really just that. It, it's trading part. So it's finding a team and seeing if there are players that could be a potential match. And mm-hmm. if you're looking at it from a Blue Jackets perspective, they need scoring. They were 27th in the league in goals. And in the Tampa series, they played, They lost all four games to Tampa by one goal. If they had a difference-making forward or another score, maybe that's a different series. So looking at the Leafs, looking at the cap situation they have, you're not trading Austin Matthews. You're probably not trading Mitch Marner, even though I've heard r- different rumors and rumblings out there that – uh, they've considered it, and I don't buy that. Um, John Tavares, they signed him in free agency. They're not going to trade him. So, if they're going to make a move for you know for the salary cap, and it involves a forward, especially if they want to get bring a defenseman in, it would be William Nylander. And I do think that the Blue Jackets should explore that possibility if, in fact, he's even available. He fits the mold. I mean, 30 goal scorer. Had a nice bounce-back year after what happened last year with his contract. He would fit very well on the Blue Jackets roster. Now the question then becomes: Do the Blue Jackets possibly have what the Maple Leafs would want? We know what the Leafs are looking for. They're looking for a top-four right-handed defenseman that, that's going to fit on that roster, and they're also possibly looking for a goaltender, especially if Freddie's not going to come back. So that's why we suggested, you know, David Savard. I mean. He's a right-handed defenseman. He's the kind of defenseman that the Leafs really haven't had. He's the kind of meat-and-potatoes defenseman where he loves the block shots. He's a defensive defenseman. He's been very dependable. He's the kind of guy that would certainly help the Leafs on the back end, especially trying to protect a lead late and things like that. The only issue with him is that he's an unrestricted free agent after this upcoming season. He's 4.25 million against the cap. I mean, if they're able to get him and, you know, say, get him to sign, resign, maybe that's the start of something. The goalie situation though, it's a weird market. I mean, you think of how many free agents there are, and you think of those that could come in in a trade, Darcy Kemper, Matt Murray. Corpus is interesting only because he he was an all-star last year. He signed for the next two years at a very affordable cap rate. we're talking under three million dollars. So if you're if you're a cap strap team looking for a significant upgrade, you know, you have him locked in for that low of a rate. The Blue Jackets would only trade him in a situation where a good forward comes in. Would that trade ever actually happen? I'm not sure. I I think the Leafs would honestly want a little bit more. You're talking about a legitimate 30-goal score for a guy who's about to be a UFA and a goaltender. I think the Leafs would want a little bit more out of that, but at least in terms of a potential match. Is there a player on each roster that the other would be interested in? There's no question about it. It's just a matter of are they serious about it and – does it actually fit the plans moving forward?
0: Goaltending in Columbus, obviously there's no question that you guys have had, uh, you know, um, some pretty solid performances from Corpozolo and Um mm-hmm. There, There is a decent depth chart there for you guys uh, in terms of what what's next. Um, when you talk about the Maple Leafs, they've had, uh, they've had a chance to really build their pipeline in terms of uh, the forward position and, and defense position. Uh, when it comes to goaltending, though, it it almost seems like Toronto's going year by year. What can they get? Um, you know, obviously, Anderson over the last few seasons, but there's talk, as you mentioned, that they could move away from from Anderson and, and look another direction. What has gone into Columbus's drafting of goaltenders that has made them so successful in that position?
2: Great question. It's it's a huge part of their success today. And it comes down to their scouting department because they have a way with um, looking at the draft and you look at the guys that they have in right now and their position. Corpusalo was a third round pick. Merzlikens was a third-round pick. Um, they got Vini Vevelainen in, in the sixth round. They signed Matisse Kivlenics off the street as, a free, as an undrafted free agent. They got Daniil Tarasov in the middle rounds of the draft, and he was widely regarded as one of the best goalies available the year prior, but he suffered a gruesome knee injury. The Blue Jackets knew enough about him. To say, you know, we're going to take him anyway because we feel like he's going to be really good and we feel like that he's over his injury concern. And so they've utilized the middle of the draft to their advantage where they they had such an eye. And this goes back to Ian Clark, the former goaltender coach who's now in Vancouver. He was part of the scouting staff and he was in this, his eye for goaltending. He had a significant role in bringing some of these guys in. And yeah, that's why it's such a strength for them because he can identify NHL talent later in the draft. And that's why he he was able to bring these guys in when they did. And for all those years, while Clark was in um, with the blue jackets, it was a significant advantage for them. So now with all the embarrassment, Tarasov might be the best of the group. And, I, and we've got corpusalo who's an all-star last year, like I said. We have Merzlikens, who's got the even higher upside than that. And yet Terasov might even be better than both of them. So they do have an embarrassment of riches, so they can afford to let Corpusalo go, but only in the right deal. You know, They can elect to keep both Merzlikens and Corpusalo. and they might have one of the best one-two young tandems going into next year to go along with Jones, to go along with Wierenski. They're going to have another year of Ryan Murray. They're going to have – they're set, except at forward. And if the right forward comes along, you know, if William Nylander is truly available, you know, maybe you have something there. But it starts with scouting, and it starts with being able to ace the draft. I think they actually prioritize trying to get a goalie every year, and they're able to do it late because – of the way that they're able to identify talent, not only here in North America, but around the world.
1: Mark, there's been some rumblings out there right now and rumors about Alexander Wenberg possibly being bought out. He holds yep. a cap at of 4.9 million. Um, honestly, I'm just trying to figure out um, he was in a really great spot a few years ago. I mean, he seemed like a really promising prospect and, um, you know, almost recorded 60 points in 2016, 17, and it just seemed to, you know, continue to digress in terms of development. Um, wh- I'm just trying to figure out what, like, is that the reasoning why they're thinking of just saying, okay, you know what, you've had your chance. You're still not meeting our
2: expectations. This is our direction that we're going to go. Hmm. He's a very interesting situation for a couple of reasons. Um you think back to 2016-17 season. You're right. It, it seemed like that the arrow was pointing up. You know, they signed him to a six-year deal at almost five million per, based on that season because they felt like that he was going to continue to produce and possibly even get the number one center role. But then, so we came to find out it just did not happen. And you know, there's a couple theories out there why. You know, we talked about Tortorella earlier. You know, there's some players that don't really thrive in that sort of a system. And you do kind of wonder if maybe he you know, was a little bit of a part of that. It's well-documented, the um, issues that they have had. But then he played well in the playoffs and had that one incredible goal um, in game two against Tampa Bay where he walked around a defender and made a nice move to beat Vasilevsky. So the talent is there. It's just not nearly been consistent enough. Um, you know, the j- kind of joke around Blue Jackets fans with him is that he doesn't shoot the puck. You know, he tries to always pass the puck. But when he shoots the puck, you know, he, he can demonstrate that he can score. And Tortorella just hasn't really been able to get the best from him. So why would he be a buyout candidate now with three years to go? Well, look at his age. He's right. He's 20. He just turned 26 three days ago. But with the memorandum of understanding he would be treated as a 25-year-old. So why would that be important? That's important because according to the CBA, at 25 and under, a buyout is one-third of the remaining contract. At 26 and over, it's two-thirds. So if they're going to do it, they're going to do it this year because it's going. it would actually make financial sense for them to cut it off now, where if they waited um, till later, it would actually cost them more. And it's now going to be a question of, do they feel like that, you know, he showed signs. Is, is he going to come on these final three years or are they going to be better? And should they actually give the opportunity to Alex Texier or Liam Foody? You know, it's 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 on the table for sure. Um, just a matter of if they actually want to move forward with it or not. And I would not be surprised if they did because that would actually make them a player in free agency And that would even add more fuel to the fire for the trade market. Um, I think the blue jackets are in on Patrick Line. I really do. I think they're interested just a matter of if they can find the right deal or not. And so watch the waiver wire at noon on these upcoming days here, because there could be Wenberg and there could be other players that, you know, could end up on a buyout. Uh,
0: Mark, obviously you've been uh, credentialed with the blue jackets for the last uh, last few years. Um, you know, this is this is the podcast that we kind of started in quarantine, um, with everything that's going on in the, in this uh, crazy world right now. Uh, what was it like being a member of the media with uh, with COVID going on?
2: Oh my gosh, um, <laughs> being able to sit at my desk at home and do everything covering the playoffs, uh, there I could go on for hours about the different things that have just happened. But what an adjustment! I mean. You know, if if, you, if you're if you not familiar, you know, I, I do actually live in um, outside of Erie, Pennsylvania. So um, being right near the otters is one thing. Um, but then covering a team that is essentially a three-hour drive for me is another. But I do get to go down there quite a bit, you know, in a normal world. But as soon as all the COVID stuff happened, all the protocols came in, you weren't going to get direct access. That that was just not going to happen. So it actually made my job easier because everything went to a virtual world with Zoom calls and everything else. So it it was a world of sitting at my desk at home, watching the playoff game from t- so live tweeting a game watch, watching on TV, and then as soon as the game was over, logging onto the internet and going out and participating in the press conferences. That's definitely a first, and who knows how long that that might be the norm at this point. I mean, we we don't even know if the season is going to start on December 1st or not like they're hoping. might get pushed back. We don't know what the status of a vaccine is, but you know the league is going to protect their players and their staff as as hardcore as possible. So I really don't foresee there being direct contact for the foreseeable and you know as more information comes out you know we'll adjust to it but um yeah it, it's been just a very surreal experience trying to cover hockey from a distance but you know it's 2020 you have to you know expect the unexpected right <laughs>
0: yeah yeah you, you, you're you're darn right there but uh uh mark uh, you know obviously we uh we appreciate you coming on we don't want to take up too much more of your time um mm-hmm. uh again uh hopefully you and your wife stay safe uh, in this crazy world and uh you know uh, hopefully we can get you back on at some point uh when the next season kicks off
2: well andrew and peter thank you very much um for this all the best to you and to andrew you know all the best to you your wife and your newborn you know that's that's awesome and just nothing but the best for all of you and really appreciate the time today
0: appreciate yeah, it mark absolutely. stay safe
2: you, you too, too mark take it easy
0: well, Peter, that was obviously a, a pleasure to talk to Mark. Um, he's a guy that, uh, you know, like like I said, he's been uh, he's been around the hockey writers for some time. Mm-hmm. He's our credentials manager. He's a guy that uh, looks out for the team, um, and uh, you know, we go back and forth anytime that the Blue Jackets play Toronto. Uh, yeah. we, we have our little back and forth, and he uh, he definitely sees things from a a different perspective than us. Um, which is nice to have. It's refreshing. Um, but uh, a guy that uh, you know, definitely worth the follow on Twitter. Mm-hmm. And uh, if you can,
1: interact with him because he's, he's a wonderful, wonderful guy. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, even before I joined the hockey writers, he was one of the first or, like, one of the many hockey writers that were, like, you know, credentialed that I followed beforehand. And he instantly followed me back. And he's just a joy to talk to with about hockey. And can we call him kind of like our insider – you know, trading. Cause it seems like whenever there's like a lot of news, he's like kind of like sort of breaking it, especially around the Columbus blue jackets. So I'm going to, we need to have like a sort of like insider trading group. And if, if there's a list to make, Mark is at the top of that list. He, he definitely is. And I'm convinced that he's got Yarmulke Kalainen
0: on, on speed dial. Um, <laughs> But uh, he's he's our outsider insider. Um, there you go. Our, our guy our guy uh, in the press box and uh, the one that uh, gets all of us there as well. So a uh, big shout-out to Mark, and we appreciate him coming on, and hopefully we'll have him back on again soon.
1: Absolutely. We'd love to have him back on. And if there's another Leaf playoff game or playoff series against Columbus, we need to have him on for every single episode.
0: I, I completely agree. Um, <laughs> maybe Maybe we go – Four times a week at that point, just to make sure we get it in before every game. But, uh, um, yeah, definitely, definitely a guy uh, worth following if you can. Uh, at Mark Shag, uh, S H or S C H E I G, um, on Twitter. Uh, definitely, uh, check him out. Um, aside from that, uh, do you have anything else you want to talk about this episode?
1: Um, Well, you know, obviously, my family is really happy that, like, you know, I'm doing this podcast. They're really happy about my writing. And, you know, they're my biggest supporters, and they read all my my stuff all the time. So when they saw my top five picks for the uh, 44th pick with the Leafs, obviously, I have um, players like Ryan O'Rourke, Justin Barron, William Villeneuve, and Martin Chromiak, and Vasily Ponomarev as my top five. Um, My parent, my... Mom and my sister especially have two players in mind that they want draft after reading that list. My sister wants William Villeneuve and my mom wants Martin Kromiak. My sister mainly because she read the last name of Villeneuve and it resembles the village that's in Beauty and the Beast and she's a huge Beauty and the Beast fan. <laughs> and my mom simply just loves Martin Chromiak because he's Slovak and I'm part Slovak and I'm pretty sure... By uh, other side of the family, who Slovák would probably want Martin Kromiak as well. So, there you have it. There's the analysis right there. There you go. Good family uh, dinner debate for
0: you. Absolutely. Um, anything new coming out from you? Um,
1: something that our our readers and listeners can look forward to. I am working on players that you should expect to make an impact this year for the lease. Um, not maybe necessarily, you know, um, a breakout season, but also just building upon what they've already done and what we've already seen. And, um, halfway done with that still got a bit more to do, but it's coming along very nicely. What have you got? Um, I've got my, uh, my draft rankings actually
0: should be out this week, uh, prior to the draft. Um, a few changes in there for sure from my last, uh, post, but, uh, definitely something to look forward to um but i do want to talk about this really quickly i want to talk about this documentary documentary i've been watching on on netflix and Mm -hmm. i've been huge into the documentaries the docuseries lately mostly true crime that said i saw the carter effect and i had to turn it on um obviously a big raptors fan and uh Mm -hmm. Uh, the impact that he had on Toronto and, and basketball in Canada, and uh, I, I, I wouldn't say it's you know a ten out of ten, but I'd say it's a solid seven, seven out of ten. And uh, you know, if you have the time, it's worth checking out. It's about an hour long. Um, you know, it just talks about his impact, uh, bringing the game to Canada and really making making Toronto. Um, You know, putting Toronto on the map in terms of uh, of the Raptors being a a quality NBA team, so it's Mm -hmm. it's definitely worth a watch. Um, another thing I wanted to quickly mention to our listeners, guys, please share this podcast. Um, we've had uh, we've had a company reach out in terms of trying to sponsor us. Um, obviously we have to get our listens up a little bit, uh, but you know we're out here slugging on on Saturday mornings, wanting to bring you guys hockey news, wanting to bring you guys our opinions, um, you know, whether you like it or not, uh, we, we love to hear if you disagree. We love to hear if you do agree. Um, but share with your friends, let them know that what's going on. Um, you know, we love, we love interacting with our listeners and, um, you know, we want to get that sponsorship because we want to make this show better for you and we want to make it a better product, uh, all around. So, um, definitely have a listen, hit that download button, hit that follow button. Mm-hmm. Uh, throw us a, a subscribe on iTunes, uh, rate us on iTunes, do what you have to do to just yeah. help us out a little bit. It takes five seconds of your time. Um, and, and obviously both Peter and I would really appreciate that. So thank you again for listening in this week. Uh, Pete, a great episode. And uh, I look forward to another week full
1: of uh, off-season trade talk and, and signings absolutely yeah and just to build off what mark said i mean i'm seeing like you know the popularity of some of our episodes on itunes it's really great if you like it continue listening continue uh, subscribing liking whatever it is that you're doing right now we appreciate all the support and we would like to continue doing that for you guys so it's much appreciated all right folks have a great weekend we will be back next week have a good one